Wow, thank you, worship team. Well, good morning. Yes, that's excellent. So my name is Steve Hammes, for those of you who don't know me, and I'm um, one of the elders here at Shiloh, and it's so cool to see people here. I just, I know it's still new, but I just, they're real. You're, I see your faces, and anyway, today we are starting our second week studying the book of Colossians. And we usually do like a topical series where we'll preach around a topic, but the elders really felt this summer we wanted to dive into a book, so we picked the book of Colossians. And Josh Locke started us off last week, and uh, he brought up three points that I think are really worth looking at for why we dig into the Word, why we study the Word. And the first was that there's a spiritual benefit to you and me when we study the Word, when we get into it. And there's a practical benefit. When we go out into the world and we walk out our lives and we walk out the Word, there's a practical benefit from knowing the Word. And then it helps us to build a a biblical worldview as we look at what goes on in the world and it helps us to look at it through the lens of the Bible. And Josh took the time to actually put together a reading plan. So if you look up there on the screen, if you go there, he's divided this whole study into a daily reading so you can track with us as you'll if you're reading along you'll be where we are on a Sunday Um, and he preached from verses 1 through 14 today we're going to do 15 through 23 so if you want to get your Bibles out so before we start though I want to backtrack a little bit because I know last week was the 4th of July and some of you guys were gone so I want to give a little history to this book and Karen you can come up when you're ready so um this was written by the Apostle Paul to the, to the Colossians. The Colossians lived in this little tiny town of Colossae. You'll see it, the little red dot towards the middle and the bottom. Kind of a no-name town. And for all we know, Paul had never been to Colossae. Um, and we know that he'd never been to the church of Colossae because he didn't start it. It's one of the few churches that he didn't start. A guy named Epaphras started this church. So Epaphras would report back to Paul, and Paul was in prison at the time that he wrote this. So he's sitting in a jail cell, and Epaphras would come back to him and tell him what's going on with the church. And Paul would pray for it, and the other apostles would pray for this church. And, but at one time he came back and he told them that there was some doctrine that was coming into the church that was false. So Paul writes this letter to address whatever is going on in this church that's false doctrine. We don't really know what it was, but we know that it was there. So when Paul writes this letter, he has to gain their trust because he's never met them. They don't know him. They've heard about him. But he has to gain their trust And then he has to start telling them the truth. And he starts our section that we're going to read today by pressing the reset button on faith. And I don't know if you've ever pressed the reset button on the odometer in your car. I I go both ways on this. Sometimes it feels really good to watch the numbers go to zero. And it's like, oh, good, fresh start. That's cool. Other times I've gone, you know, 15,000 miles before I pressed it. And it's kind of sad to see this go away and press this to zero but in any event, he does is he presses the reset button and he takes them all the way back to, to zero. And sometimes when you read Paul's letters, they're, they're kind of like a fireworks display. Last week we saw the fireworks, as many of you guys did, but we could see the guy lighting them. And he would reach down and he would light one in and we're going, boom, and oh, that's pretty. And that's how I like to watch fireworks because I like to appreciate each one. By the end, this guy is going, and they're going, and everywhere, and I'm, I'm looking at it going, pretty, pretty, pretty. I can't, I can't keep track of all these fireworks. And Paul's letters are kind of like that. Sometimes we just end up glossing over because he just hits you with so much all at once. So we're going to dissect that a little bit, but he's a passionate guy, and he wants to get right into it. So let's just dive in today, and I'm going to have my, my wife Karen read this. If you guys would stand while we read the 
the Word of God. This is Colossians 1, 15 through 23. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope that held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. You may be seated. Isn't that's amazing, right? Let your glory fill this house, Lord. So I want to back up a little bit because last week when Josh talked, this section that we just read tells them who Jesus is. But right before this, when he was writing to them, he commended them, first of all, telling them that he prays for them. But he gave them four things that Jesus did for them. And I want to go back and just... just Make note of that. So the first thing he tells them, he qualified them to share in the inheritance of his holy people. So they're qualified. He rescued them for the dominion of darkness. So they're rescued. He redeemed them and he forgave their sins. Those four things Jesus did for them. And you know what, Shiloh? Same thing for us today. Jesus has done the same four things for you that he did for them. And then he goes on to tell them who Jesus is. And when I was preparing this and I was reading through it, I read this and I said, you know, there's something to me glaringly obvious that's missing from the whole thing. He not once mentions Jesus here on earth. I mean, Jesus was just here on earth when he writes this letter. It's like you would think he would have gone, hey, guys, remember Jesus, the guy that you heard so much about, this guy that healed us healed this paraplegic man. He was lowered through the ceiling and he healed him. Remember this same Jesus put mud on a guy's eyes and he spit on him and he got his sight. The same Jesus that turned water into wine. The same Jesus that was baffling all the priests. Remember that guy? That's the guy. But he doesn't mention anything about Jesus and his earthly ministry. And as I thought about it, I thought, you know what? There's times that I think we get stuck in when we hear Jesus. What do you think of? You think of Jesus, the, the guy with the long brown hair with the white robe, and he was here on earth, and he did these amazing miracles, and that's what we think of when we think of Jesus. And Paul goes, no, 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 I want to bypass that. I want to go straight to the top, and I want to show you who Jesus really is. I want you to get a, so much of a bigger picture of Jesus. It says the, he says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. 
So not only was he the person that designed it and created it, he created it all, but he did it for himself. He did it so that all things would point back to him, for you and for me. All things reflect his glory. And it says that he is before He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I'd never thought of this. Do you realize how much power it must take to hold everything together? The sun, by seconds, it's the same every day. The planets spin at a certain rotation. Your heart beats at a certain beat. Your systems in your body work at a certain rate. All things hold together, and Jesus' power holds that all together. You know, man decided that we're going to take and we're going to take one of God's little tiny atoms and we're going to split it. So they built this thing in Geneva, Switzerland called the Hadron Collider. This Hadron Collider is miles and miles of these tubes. And they send atoms through these tubes at such a high rate of speed that they split it. And they managed to do it. They took one little atom of God made and they split it in half. Do you know how many volts of electricity it took to do that? It took 7 trillion volts of electricity to split one of God's little atoms. Do you know how many volts come out of the little outlet in the wall? 120. And they hurt. I've shocked myself many times. It hurts. 120. This was 7 trillion volts to be able to split one of God's little created atoms. Isn't that amazing? Yet he holds everything together. Everything together. It's amazing. And he says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Jesus is the head of the church. He reigns supreme over everything that you see. And he's the only one that's risen from the dead. But you might say, yeah, but what about Lazarus? What about that guy who's was being on a cart and Jesus saw his mom going to go bury him and he raised him from the dead. Yeah, those guys, he rose them, but they died again. They were resuscitated. (laughs) Jesus is the only one that stayed risen from the dead ever. And he's the head of the church. And we often think, church, it's here, right? This is where we come, and it's true. We come on a Sunday, we come and we learn, and we worship together, and we meet each other, and we encourage each other, and people come in and we minister to them. But the real church is you and me going out there. You're the church. I'm the church. It's where we go out there and we share with everybody else about Jesus. And he has the job of working on their hearts to bring them back. It says he's reconciling all things to himself. And sometimes I think that we treat Jesus like the Queen of England. So the Queen is cute. She's cute, right? She's been around forever. And and everybody loves her, and they respect her, and she's just awesome. She's adorable. But the lady has no power. She has no power at all. She's a figurehead. And sometimes I think we kind of think of Jesus when we hear Jesus. He's he's the figurehead of the church, and yeah, he did those things, but that's Jesus. But that's not Jesus. The church is his thing. He's active every single day. He's working in the church every single day, and you're the church So he's working in you every single day. He's not sitting idly by going to banquets and whatever she does. I don't know what she does. But he's not doing that. He's working every single day in your life and my life, whether you like it or not. When Karen started reading, she said that Jesus is the invisible 
is the image of the invisible God. It's kind of like Jesus is the icon of the invisible God. On my phone, on your phone, I got a bunch of icons, right? You have them too. And I have a, a weather radar app. And I know what that is by looking at it. I can see that that's my radar app. But when I click on it, every feature, every benefit of that app is now at my disposal. I can take part, I can use it, and it becomes much more valuable because I clicked on it. And in a sense, Jesus is like that. You know who he is, but once you accept him as Lord and Savior, it says all the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. When you and I accept Jesus, every single attribute of God, his promises, his healing, his wisdom, his guidance, his salvation, everything about God is instantly available to you every single day. Isn't that incredible? A lot happens when you accept Jesus as your Savior. It says, but once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Every single person in this room, we were all there at one point in time. You didn't know who Jesus was. You hadn't accepted him as your Savior. Maybe you're sitting there today and you still haven't. We've all been there. And you didn't because you were separated from him by your sin. Once you accepted him as your Lord and your Savior, he can present you to God. And he can present you and God doesn't blame you. God doesn't, God doesn't accuse you. He's forgiven you. You stand in front of him because Jesus was willing to pay the price for your sins. But he says, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. I think this is where Paul, when he was writing the letter, he's all, screw the nail into the wood. This is gospel. This is going in the book. Because this point right there, if you don't move, from the hope held out in the gospel, because this is where I think I go off track and maybe you go off track. When we accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior, you bend a knee and we tell Jesus, you're you're my Savior, you're my Lord, and I accept you. (laughs) But if you're like me, a lot of us have done this, we've gone, but wait a minute, Um, one more thing. I want to be able to still run my life like I used to run it. I, I, I want to have control over my life because having a Lord and a Savior, somebody running my life, I'm not used to that. And we kind of want a car like this. I want to drive. I want to drive. I want to run my life. I, wa- I want to have control over the speed. I want to have control over where I go. I want to dictate what I want to do. And then when I screw it up, I want to go, all right, <laughs> you take the wheel and you get me out of it. And, and he does. And then as soon as things go well again, we're back to this. We're back to driving it ourselves, aren't we? And I think if you're like me, there's times, and this is just a hard realization, but there are times in my walk with Jesus that I've walked with him, and there comes a point in time, and I go, Jesus, can you just wait out here a minute? Wait right there. And I go, and there's a part of my life that I've not allowed him into. And I think a lot of us have a part of our life where we ask Jesus, can you wait outside? How many times do you ask him in your walk each day, could you wait outside for a minute? Because there's an aspect of your life that you haven't submitted to him and you haven't given it to him. It's tough. 
It's tough to admit that, that we want him as part of the Lord of our life, but it doesn't work that way. He doesn't work that way. He's either the Lord of our life or he's not. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, you know what, my faith life, all those things that you talk about, I don't have them. I don't have them. Or maybe your, life, your faith life has lost its, its shimmer. It was, it was great for a while, but you've kind of fallen back and it's not there. I've got to ask you a question. Who's the Lord of your life? Is he the Lord of your life? Or are you trying to be the Lord of your life? They can't both be the Lord of your life. And I think that when Paul wrote this letter, he knew really, really well the danger of how false doctrine coming into the church. He knew exactly what was going to happen if it gets into the mind of a believer. He could have written that letter to the church of Shiloh. When you go through your Bible, instead of saying Colossians, it could say Shiloh there because it applies to us today. And you might be saying, you know what? What? What false doctrine? Oh, my gosh. False doctrine. Every single day we're hit with false doctrine of what people telling us the truth is. We have social justice warriors out there today that are redefining the family, that are trying to redefine the church, redefine you. We have the NEA who basically wants to raise your child on what they want to define as truth. They're teaching kids morality, what they believe to be morality. They're teaching kids how to do self-gratification with their body in as young as kindergarten. We have... BLM, LGBTQ. Did you know there's 21 different gender choices? All these people telling you what's truth today. Political correctness. What you can't say. The words you can't say. The way that you can't think anymore. Everybody's telling you, this is truth. No, this is truth. This is truth. We have what's acceptable behavior towards one another. Look at the way people are treating each other. And and people are saying, no, that's okay. That's the way it is today. This is what we do. We have politics and greed. We have the attempt to redefine our country, our history, and what's truth. We're basically being assaulted in every direction by people telling you, this is truth. And maybe you're like me. Maybe after a while you start to say, is it me? Am I missing something? Maybe I'm the one that needs to start being more open to some of these ideas. Maybe... I need to start being more sensitive to these things that people are telling me are truth. And maybe the Bible, maybe it was written a long time ago and it's not really relevant today. Or maybe it doesn't go with culture today. Maybe I'm just old-fashioned and I need to adjust. The difference between living in the Word and the world is one letter. It's the letter L, which is lost. If you're living in the world, you're lost. And I'm going to tell you something. I was looking at you guys. (laughs) I know they're all going, oh, pay attention. But I was looking at you guys during worship. You're going to college. And you are assaulted in every single side by people telling you what truth is. If what you believe lines up with the word of God, stay there. And don't you guys move. Don't move when the world is coming at you telling you this is truth. No, this is truth. No. Stand up. For what's truth? God said, if you'll acknowledge me before the world, I'll acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. When you stand in front of Father in heaven, he's going to go, no, he's my son. Do you know what he did? He stood up for me. When everything was coming against him, he stood up for me. He stood for truth. 
She stood for truth. She's my daughter. When all was going against her, she didn't cave. She stood up for truth. She stood up for truth. And you know what? He'll humble you. He'll humble your ego. He'll let you go through trials. He'll let sorrow into your life. He's going to pull you through things. He's going to push you through things that are really, really hard. But he's doing it so that he can grow you, so that he can make you strong. And he'll never leave you. He'll never walk away. He'll never stop loving you. He's the only one that will stay there all the time and love you more than any person on earth will. Because when that day comes, the truth, the supposed truth comes to you, you're going to recognize and go, that doesn't line up with what my God says. No way. That's what he wants from us. To stand true. So I have to ask you, what have you accepted in your life as truth? that doesn't line up with the Word of God. Man, when I, when I sat there and I thought of this, I'm going, oh, wow. I was just starting to come around the corner on some things going, oh, I'm, I'm becoming more open to some of these things. I can't say the C-R-A-P word, but man, I was almost there. I was taking the Word of God and going to dilute it so that I could be more culturally relevant. And this is what Paul, when he wrote this letter, he's going, no, church, nope, you stay true. He says, do not move from the hope of the gospel that is within you. And he's going to go on in this letter as we read the next couple of weeks. He's going to give godly advice for people how to live a godly life, stuff that they needed to hear then and you and I need to hear now. But here he was saying, I want to tell you who Jesus Christ really is. Back in the end of May, I shared with, with you guys when I spoke one time about, I was getting, I was frustrated and I went to God and I was complaining a lot. And, and some of it had to do with the church and there's people in the church, so go figure, right? People are annoying. But it's true and there's no perfect church. So sometimes stuff with the church annoys me. And I was complaining to God. And I shared with you that he's, he came to me and he asked me this question. And it was hard. He goes, will you allow yourself to be inconvenienced for the things of my kingdom? And I'm like, oh, ow, that hurt. That's a great question, God. Will I allow myself to be inconvenienced for the things of the kingdom? But he shared a second part of this. He, he told me something. And it didn't apply that day. But it applies today. At the same token, he followed it up. With this, he said to me, get over yourself. Come on, there's work to be done. Man. And, but you know, he's right. I was making it about me. I was making it about me. There's work to be done. Rich Wells, who used to go to this church, lives in a, a community down in Florida, in, in this retirement community, and they have this slogan, and I love it. It says, if you're not dead, you're not done. Right? And, and it's so true. It's like, okay, God, there's work to be done. And I had to ask myself, am I willing to serve him unconditionally? Am I willing to give God my best and push forward every day, even when there's times my life is just drudgery? It just feels like I'm going day to day to day. It's the same thing every day. Am I willing to take those drudgery days and still give him my best? Am I willing to give up control for how I want things to be and design my life every day? Am I willing to let him design my life? Ugh, that's tough. And am I willing to be present every moment and every day and make myself available for the person who runs the church? 
for Jesus Christ for whatever his purposes are, even though he may not tell me what they are. Am I willing to be available? So I leave you with this today. If, if Jesus isn't Lord of your life, if you've gotten out from underneath the lordship of him and you're over here, you're making a go of it by yourself. And it's dangerous territory because you're exactly the type of person that the enemy wants to pick off. It says he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I used to think that was about my stuff. It's not. It's about me. It's about you. It's about the enemy coming and stealing you from the kingdom of God. It's about the enemy coming to destroy you. If he keeps you from the kingdom of God and underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ, that's how he's stealing you. It may work for a while. I've been there. I've done that. Where I'm standing out on my own and things are going okay and, I'm, and I've let a lot of things slide. I'm not in the word. I'm not studying. And I've, I start doing things and that's when I start to ask him to wait outside more and more. It works for a while, but in the end it doesn't. So I encourage you, if, if you're here today and you go, I've got to press the reset button, that odometer, take it back to zero. This is truth. This is who God really is. This is who Jesus is, the supreme creator. <clears throat> so would you stand with me and we'll close. I love when Paul said this. He says, do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Don't move. If you submit to Jesus and he's the Lord of your life and you squiggled out from underneath that, I encourage you, get back underneath that. And I can't help but look at the young people. You guys, stay strong. Stay strong. Show the older people how it's done. Some of us old farts, we've lost our way in a lot of things. And you guys, stay strong when you go to school, when you're out every day. Stay strong. Truth. Find truth. Get in the Word. Us older people, we're not immune to this. We can squeeze right out from the covering of God and make a go of it alone. But if he's truly Lord of your life, he's the Lord of your life in everything. So Father God, as we, as we close today, I just thank you for your word, God. It's true. It's true. You're the supreme creator and all things hold together because of you, Lord. You created everything by you and for you, Lord. There's nothing that you don't know. So Lord, for those of us who stand here today and, and we've wiggled out from underneath your covering, God, I pray that we would come back in and I know you welcome us back in, Lord. You, you forgive us. And because of what you've done, you can present us in front of Holy Father and say, there's no accusation, there's no blame. I love you. Thank you, God. Thank you for Paul writing this letter and having the passion that he did to put it before the church to remind the church who you really are how magnificent you are, how supreme you are, how wonderful you are. I thank you for that, God. I thank you for each one of my brothers and sisters here, Lord. We're here to make a difference. We're here to work. We're not here to be complacent, God. We want to serve you in whatever capacity and whatever means and whatever you call us to do, Lord, we are available. So I ask this week as we go forward, Lord, may we recognize the deludedness of truth when it comes at us. May we go back to the Bible and say, is it in the Bible? If it's not in the Bible, it's not in the truth, Lord. So we use you as our reference, God. And may we get into the Word and just as we learn more and more in Colossians what Paul was writing about and we study the Word, just impart to us its wisdom, Lord, your wisdom and your guidance. 
I thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you for everyone here today. Ask for your blessings for this upcoming week. In your name we pray. Amen. So have an awesome week. If you would like prayer, we'd like to pray with you. So have a great week.